0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is
1: Believe. Well, no time
0: for Stanford to lick its wounds and feel sorry for itself after that result the last time they took the field. Here come the Irish. Stanford hopping on the plane and heading out to South Bend and hoping for a much-needed win against Notre Dame. And so we're going to spend the bulk of our time on on this episode of The Treecast with Troy Clarity on the Believe Network and presented by Bet Online. Great to have you with us on Thursday, October 13th, 2022. Hi, I'm Troy Clarity, host of this show. And we've got a lot of ground to cover on this episode. We're actually even going to get into a little bit of Stanford men's hoops. Yes that's coming up very very soon caught up with the reigning pac-12 freshman of the year and one of the guys that stanford is going to be pinning its hopes heavily on for the upcoming season harrison ingram we're going to have a brief chat with him coming up later on in the show but of course it's the tree cast we're a football podcast at heart and you know we're going to bring you stanford football analysis like only this show can and we're going to do it with help from a couple of special guests in the football department as well. Stanford football tight end Ben Urasik, and former Cardinal defensive back, but now you see him all the time on ESPN, and he's a really, really good dude too, Rod Gilmore. So three special guests. I feel like the count on Sesame Street. One guest, two guests, three guests. Ah, 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 ah three special guests on this week's episode of the tree cast. So I think you picked a pretty good one uh, to join us for Troy clarity here at Troy clarity, the last name, C L A R D Y. That is how you follow me on Twitter at Troy clarity, the way there subscribe to the show, no matter wherever you find your favorite podcast, or at least the good ones anyway, the tree cast is there. Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Alexa, iHeart, TuneIn, anywhere you want to go to get your favorite podcast, uh, you can get the TreeCast uh, there as well. Rate, rate and review the show, subscribe to the show, and tell folks... About the show, certainly proud to have been uh, and continuing to be uh, the owner of the uh, of Stanford athletic coverage in the podcast space. In case you don't know who I am, this is my thirtieth year following Stanford football, year number nine of Pac-12 Network play-by-play. I've got field hockey duty on Friday, Stanford versus Cal. That is always fun. And Compass Media Networks national radio play-by-play on the football side. My season will get going later on this month. I cannot wait to tell you all about that. Of course, we'll give you three things you need to know about uh, Stanford versus Notre Dame coming up in just a moment. But first, this reminder that football is back, in case you hadn't noticed, and Bet Online remains your number one source for all your football betting needs this season. You'll find the latest odds, matchup info, player news, and game trends. And as your continued source for all sports wagering info, Bet Online features live betting, free contests, live scores, and giveaways all season long always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports and events like MLB, MMA, tennis, boxing and even golf. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 100% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use the promo code believe that's B L E A V to receive your rewards. Bet online where the game starts. Let's hop into it three things you need to know about Stanford versus Notre Dame beginning with number 1. <coughs> And as usual, this time of year, we begin with injury news. And we'll give the good news first. Cornerback Caillou Blue Kelly and right tackle Miles Hinton probable for this week against Notre Dame. Backup running back Caleb Robinson is hopeful. Now, David Shaw with the not-so-good injury news. Looks like
1: Walter Rouse and Levi Rogers uh, will most likely be out this week, if that's the case. Uh, we'll decide where Miles and Jack uh, Lair will play, um, who play right and who will play left. We'll decide that in the next day or so. And uh, Drake Metcalf would start at guard uh, if Levi is out for sure. And uh, Drake's had a great training camp, um, has been ready. Um, he's been ready at center at guard, and now he'll get his chance to uh, start this weekend
0: Ooh, boy Stanford's in danger of running out of offensive linemen all right so let's look at this the only two knowns on the offensive line as I say this are Drake Nugent at center and Jake Hornerbrook at left guard the offensive line is already down Barrett Miller who isn't on this week's depth chart at all you might remember he got hurt against Oregon a couple weeks ago and it's also down Connor McLaughlin who came in at right tackle at Washington after Miller who was starting in place of Hinton Miller had to move to left tackle when Walter Rouse got hurt. Then McLaughlin himself got hurt during Oregon week. Five different offensive tackles for Stanford, by the way, uh, during the competitive portions of their ball games. So if Rouse and Rodgers are out, that means Drake Metcalf, who has appeared in two games in his career, is at right guard with Miles Hinton, assuming he's good to go, and Jack Lair manning the tackle spots. Which sides? We'll we'll see. Let's just get both of those young men on the field first and then figure out uh, which sides both of those guys play on. If an offensive lineman goes down (laughs) in-game, potential options, and I'm just kind of spitballing here, could be freshman offensive tackle Fisher Anderson and junior center Logan Berzins, who has come in from time to time as Stanford's jumbo offensive lineman. But boy, the bigger point is the Stanford offensive line right now, their depth isn't thin it's non-existent let's move on to number and yes it gave up too many explosive plays down the stretch against Oregon State but overall tangible improvement from the Stanford defense against the Beavers especially up front four sacks two of them from Tobin Phillips himself and eight tackles for loss and the guys up front got help from the secondary as they were active in run support and in blitzing the passer as well, John McGill, Stanford safety, got a sack along the way. Cardinal edge rusher Stephen Heron isn't mad at that. I think with how
2: athletic and how, honestly, how physical our secondary is, I don't think that they mind too much. And honestly, it helps us a lot up front, um, being able to, you know, look in the film and, and realize that I don't have to worry about trying to two-gap alignment, you know, like I have before, or you know, look inside my gap and pop back out, anything like that. You know, I can trust the guys in the secondary coming up to fill that hole and, and honestly, when, when they've been the one to fiddle it, you know, there's only been a few mistakes. So I just think we clean those up and, you know, I, I can do my best by making it as clear as, as, you know, as clear as possible for them up front, you know, just staying outside, staying in my edge, whatever it may be, and letting them see exactly where they need to fit. And then I think I think it just leads us to the promised land.
0: Yeah, a more aggressive approach by the Stanford defense with the secondary being a bit more active at and behind the line of scrimmage, that helps lead to total team defense. Who knew? Now, don't get it twisted. It's not like I'm saying Stanford became the tree fence again against Oregon State, right? But considering how to approach things the first four games, it's certainly a step in the right direction. Let's wrap up three things with number three. Stanford at one and four on this season. Notre Dame at three and two. They've won three straight. And this will actually be the 36th all-time meeting between Stanford and Notre Dame, a series that actually dates back to 1925 and actually has a trophy attached to it too. The Legends Trophy, yeah. It, it, I didn't really realize this until a couple of years ago myself, but yeah, there, there's a trophy attached to this one. Plenty of history between these two as well, as David Shaw is well aware.
1: Um, There've been a lot of exciting games that we've played there um, and have been fortunate enough to win uh, multiple times in that stadium. Um, tight games, difficult games, games with a lot of really good football players. And uh, you know I'm excited to see this group. Um, you know, and I, I want to say we've got a couple marquee players as well um, that want to come and, and 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 have a chance to uh, play extremely well on national TV. That's David Shaw. We're going to talk more about one of those tight games in particular, one that
0: left me kind of salty and rather wet from all the rain as I left Notre Dame Stadium that day. We'll talk about that later in the show. Uh, it's going to be chilly for this go around. Uh, as I say this game time forecast in South Bend. Uh, Looks like temperatures in the mid-40s with a slight chance of rain. How could that affect things? Well, no one better to ask that question to.
3: Stanford kicker, Josh Cardi. It's going to be a little colder game, unfortunately. I like a a nice Stanford stadium, 75-degree weather game. Um, But, uh, you know, that just means uh, the balls might be a little colder. um, And, you know, they may travel a yard or two less far. But... I mean that doesn't change really anything in uh, in my approach.
0: That's Joshua Cardi, and it might not change his approach from a kicking game standpoint, but it'll probably affect his wardrobe. That's for sure. Those are three things. Ben Jurasic and Rod Gilmore, our football special guests, coming up later on in the show. But the little hoops right now we're starting to reach that time of year where it all is in uh, full effect uh, the, co- the, the convergence season is almost upon us and Stanford men's basketball certainly one of those uh, squads and one of those sports that is on the verge of revving up and before heading over to Stanford Stadium on Saturday I dropped by Stanford men's basketball practice they held a bit of an open house of sorts uh, on uh, Saturday late afternoon and it was cool to be back in Maples as always. Cardinal trying for its first NCAA tournament bid since 2014, and second year student athlete Harrison Ingram will play a large role in Stanford's success in that endeavor. The youngster from Dallas was last season's Pac-12 freshman of the year, tested the NBA waters, but came back to the farm. Talked about that and a few other things. Here's a quick catch-up with Harrison Ingram. All right, Harrison, here we are on the floor Maples Pavilion. Your 10th practice is wrapped up. Let's just start here. What do you think that you might know about this year's squad after 10 practices that you might not necessarily have known the very first one?
3: I mean, we're close. Everyone's cool off the court. I mean, different than most teams. We don't really have cliques. I mean, everyone has the guys they're closest with off the team, but we all hang out outside of practice. In practice, we're all cool, and it's competitive.
0: Take me through your offseason, obviously a decision to make along the way, some of the things you consider and some of the reasons that, that you that you came back to your farm for the, for the second year.
3: Yes, sir. I mean, basketball is a big part of my life, but it's not everything. I didn't feel like I was mentally ready to go and be by myself, live on my own, who knows where? I, I mean, I was at Stanford, and I feel like I want to increase my draft so I can come back for one more year.
0: Of course, there's be- better winters here unless right. you're stuck right. somewhere in the, in the exactly. midwest somewhere. What are some things that you've been been working on from o- over the past offseason coming into this year?
3: Definitely my body. I mean, I've lost what 11 pounds now, down to like 6% body fat, and then my shot. Those are the two things I worked on the most.
0: Take us through the squad as as you see it right now. Who, what 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 are some of the strengths as you mm-hmm. see it at this point? What are some things that, that you want to see this team work on in the next couple weeks?
3: I think just being together. I mean, on the court, we, everyone's playing the right way. No one's really trying to ball hog. We have shooters. We have good bigs, good point guards. And on defense, And I mean, our length, I think that's our biggest asset. We're long. We're tall, long, fast in every position.
0: What's the biggest thing that you guys were trying to work on to improve on from last year?
3: Last year, just be more consistent. We'd have big, really big highs. Like, our high was just, we beat USC. We beat really good teams, but our lows were just too low. Just knowing that every team to have their highs, every team can have their lows. But, like, at that low, how good are you?
0: How much of that is a function of this being maybe a bit more of a wiser, more veteran, a more mm-hmm. experienced mm-hmm. team than it might have been at some points last year?
3: Definitely. I mean, last year, the year before that, year before that, a lot of freshmen. Like I was a freshman. Zaire was a freshman. Tyrell Terry was a freshman. Freshmen, a lot of them leading the way. And now I'm a sophomore. I'm seasoned. We've got Spencer, uh, senior. We've got Mike Jones, grad transfer. Like, we have some old, older people on the team.
0: Defensively is mm-hmm. where this program likes to, to lay its hat. How are you liking things as far as where things sit right now in that department?
3: I mean, def- defensively we'll always be there. I just feel it myself just kind of focusing on getting more ball pressure on the wings and just making them more comfortable. I kind of would sag off a little bit. It's getting up in their face. I mean, tracing the pass and getting deflections.
0: Introduce us to the newcomers, mm-hmm, the, the mm-hmm, new guys, mm-hmm. new faces we're going to be seeing uh, on this team and some things they can bring to the program.
3: Yes, sir. So there's Ryan Agarwal. He's from Dallas. I mean, I've known him since... I don't even know, forever. That's my, that's my little brother. I mean, we're close. We hang out all the time. And we play Madden. There's little stuff like that. And There's Jalen Thompson, really athletic. Ryan, really good shooter. Like, one of the best shooters i probably say I've ever seen. Like, off the dribble, fading. It's everything. He hits everything. And then Jalen, athletic, defender. Really works hard. Like, Jalen's in the gym like no other. Like, anytime I come, I see Jalen. And then Benny Giller, he's a walk-on. He's another guy with a clip. Like, I shot him, shoot. I got his rebound. He's hurt right now. But I got his rebound. I, mean, I saw him make like 50 out of 55. It was ridiculous from three. So just, those are the three freshmen. And then Mike Jones yep. who's a grad transfer. Yep. yep. Good player. I mean, I didn't realize how smart he was. It's more, he's more not going to while you with a dunk or like a really good move. Like, I might hit some crazy shots, but just how smart he is. Backdoor cuts. Right, right spot on defense. Right spot on offense. I love playing with him.
0: All right, let's wrap it up on this. Where's the bar set for this team? Where are you setting the bar for this squad in the Pac-12 and maybe even a little bit beyond that?
3: We want to make the NCAA tournament. We want to go far in the NCAA tournament, potentially NCAA championship. We want the Pac-12 title too. We want season title and we want Pac-12 championship. I like that checklist. Yes, sir. Go get it. Yes, sir. Can't wait to
0: see you get out there and do it. Thanks so yes, much. Appreciate, appreciate the time. You.
3: Appreciate you. Nice to meet you.
0: Enjoy catching up with Harris in a fast break conversation of sorts with uh, that young man, but uh, really appreciate him uh, taking some time out and uh, joining us and uh, looking forward to the hoop season. Hey, it's going to be here before we even know it, right? The opener on November 7th versus Pacific, that's an 11 a.m. tip-off. That, that, that's Yes, that, that's actually when they're tipping that thing off at Maples on November 7th. Really intrigued by that Loyola-Chicago game down in Santa Cruz in late December. I'm really intrigued by by that one. That should be a, um, a, 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 a obviously you know the, the the Loyola Chicago story, what they've been through over the past few years making the NCAA tournament. I don't know if Sister Jean's going to be in the house. Uh, if she's going to be able to make that, if she is, cool. Would be great. Would be great to have her here um, in Northern California, but uh, certainly. Uh, a a terrific overall and testing uh, non-conference schedule for uh, Stanford this season, San Diego State in the mix, Uh, of course, Texas and uh, playing Wisconsin in Milwaukee. That's supposedly a a, a neutral site game, but you know how that works. Good thing that Stanford's going to be able to turn the tables a little bit with Stanford playing a neutral site game um, in Santa Cruz. But uh, looking forward to getting all of that going with Stanford men's hoops with the season beginning November 7th. Now, of course, we're in the middle of football season. Stanford about to play its sixth game of the year as they head out to South Bend to face the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. And this is going to be a fantastic matchup of tight ends. And Stanford, of course, will have a very good one itself in Ben Urasik. I remember... A couple years ago, hearing about him and about how the older and veteran defensive backs, a couple from a couple of years ago, were calling Ben the future. Well, of course, the future is here. Had a terrific season last year, and so far off to a good start with 15 catches uh, on the season so far. And by the way, he has the second longest run for Stanford this year, 50 yards on an end around against USC. Stanford on the plane on Thursday to head out to South Bend. On Wednesday evening, I headed down to Stanford football's practice to talk to Ben Yurasek. And the first thing that he and I talked about, I asked him to take me in. Inside the locker room immediately after that loss to Oregon State especially given how it went down and then I asked him to compare that mood to how things have been so far this week
4: yeah I mean obviously after that game heartbreaking if you're not devastated after a game like that as a competitor I don't understand you right so we obviously needed that Sunday and everything to recoup but right when we got back to Monday we all understood let's all get back to work so and it's, I'm sure it's been all work so far this week
0: leading up to it, but yeah, the start of that game against Oregon State, the first opening drive, we saw a whole lot of different things, motion, misdirection, a lot of things that it seemed like we hadn't quite seen the wrinkles in the Stanford offense to that point, and you were quite heavily involved in that start as well. Just take us through that opening drive that resulted in the uh, Philkins uh, touchdown, as you remember.
4: Yeah, I mean, we loved the start of the drive. We loved the play selection and everything from Coach Sean, the Office of Coordinator, Coach Pritchard. We knew that we were being aggressive and trying to make a fast start in that game and that's exactly what we did. So that was our goal and we had well executed and we got to make sure to keep building off of that and make that a norm for this team. When this offense is running at its peak,
0: is that pretty much what it looks like? The multiplicity of concepts and the, uh, the
4: formations and all those sorts of things, is, is that what it looks like when it's, when it's at its peak? Yeah, we're a very diverse offense and we got a lot of guys that can make plays. So you saw it in that drive and others, but we have a whole lot of options. So.
0: It's amazing watching Tanner McKee and the throws that he makes. There's always at least one, maybe even two during the course of a game that make me, you know, gasp out loud. Uh, you're catching those passes. You've caught a couple of those passes that have, that made me uh, drop drop my jaw a little bit. You know, is, is there a couple? Are, are there a couple passes that you've caught from Tanner that made that made you go, "Holy cow!" How, how did he get that one? me?
4: Oh, for sure. And I mean, even being with him out here every single day, there's still throws that make my jaw drop. But uh, definitely, there's some plays where you wonder and you think back to and you're like, huh, I don't know how that one happened. kind of just stuck to the ham, but you just got to go out there and play free, and plays like that happen.
0: How would you sum up how the season's gone for you so far this
4: year? You know, um, just as far as this team frustrations. It's not a personal game. This is a team sport, and my main cons- um, concerns are with our overall record, and we obviously know we're not doing good enough. We could have as many excuses as we want, but as a team, as a leadership group and everything, we got to come back every single week and expect better. So um, definitely a lot of frustrations, though.
0: Some high points though throughout the course of the season, I find it interesting that you have a 50 yard rush on the end around against USC. We've seen that end around broken out every once in a while, and it's been effective uh, whenever you've run it. When it gets called in the huddle, what sort of things go through your mind?
4: Oh, I mean, any plays where you know you're the main reader, it's a special look or anything, you obviously get excited. You get those butterflies, but you got to make sure to stay calm, not get too excited. And, you know, sometimes it happens here where you'll release too early or stuff. So just make sure you remember what you practice and everything and stay relaxed, but on those plays, I mean, how open I get and everything, our blocking, that's really what it comes up to, not me. So, What's
0: been the biggest point, or what do you think the biggest point of improvement is for Stanford offensively? What are the, what's the biggest thing that this team needs to work on to improve and, and get better and improve on as the season goes along from the offensive standpoint?
4: I think consistency is just our main factor. We see so many spurts of greatness and things, but we can't have these highs and lows. We have to be consistent as a team. So.
0: Let's talk about Notre Dame now a little bit, and, and uh, going to be an intriguing tight end matchup between yourself and Michael Mayer, big number 87. There are so many things that 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 run through the offense. It seems uh, for Notre Dame through him. When I'm sure you maybe picked it, peeked at the tape a little bit, but when you look at him, what are some things that pop out at you?
4: I mean, he's a great player, right? I'm mean, going to give it to Michael. We're in the same recruiting class and everything. And I remember playing against him last year and everything, so it's obviously an exciting matchup. Always, as a competitor, love to go up against anybody, but at the end of the day, I'm worried about Stanford versus Notre Dame.
0: Well, if he's watching the tape on you, what are some of the things that you think he sees and pops out the tape on you?
4: Um, we are definitely a little bit different as far as uh, the ends and everything, but... Um, I hope that he just sees a complete player that has a lot of grit because that's what I want to put on the film.
0: Initial thoughts on Notre Dame and some of the challenges that they could potentially uh, bring at you on Saturday.
4: I mean, a great team, great defense. Defenses like that make very few mistakes and we got to make sure to make the most of whatever they give us. But uh, playing in that atmosphere and um, it's going to be a fun one. Obviously, haven't been over there because of COVID and other things. Uh, very excited for this experience.
0: Yeah, have you heard anything? Have people said anything to you about what it's like, you know, walking into that stadium, being in that environment, and playing, you know, on in, in one of the more you know storied grounds in all of college football?
4: Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you hear things, but it's the same football field you've been playing on your whole entire life, right? So we're gonna go in there with that type of mindset. But um, obviously, they're a great team, and uh, we're excited to be in that type of atmosphere. We know it's lots of history behind it, so. All
0: right, I gotta ask you about this. Your great-grandfather apparently invented the baby carrot Uh, thoughts expand on that a little bit for us please
4: yeah it's funny when I was a kid you know you'd brag about it all the time but now as I get older it keeps popping up and it's funny and all but um, it's a it's cool fact you know I'm a fourth generation or would-be farmer my family and everything has been the Central Valley growing carrots and a whole bunch of other stuff so it's something as a family we're obviously very prideful about and yeah, I guess it's cool. <laughs> it's been a
0: part of our diet for, for years, so so thanks thanks to you all for that. As we wrap this up, g- give me just one or two keys here uh, specifically for the entire team. What's it going to take for Stanford to get on the plane out of South Bend and fly back to the Bay Area with a much-needed W?
4: Yeah, I mean, as I said before, consistency, right? And we got to take this game one play at a time. One play is not going to make or break anything. It's about to combine at the end. And as a team, we know we're going to be hit with adversity. So I think however we handle that, and keep pushing through is going to determine how this game ends a lot. So Intrigued to see how it all
0: shakes out. Ben, thanks a bunch. Really enjoy watching you play. Looking forward to seeing how things go. Can't wait. Best of luck. Best of help. We'll talk again soon.
4: Thank you, sir. Appreciate it.
0: Really enjoy watching Ben Yurasek play, and uh, glad he could spend some time with us after Wednesday's practice. Man, soft hands, good route running. And it's, it's clear that and we saw this last year, uh, clear that he has a connection with Tanner McKee, a chemistry that that can be such a wonderful thing to watch between quarterback and receiver. Now, I, I do think that at times McKee looked to him a bit too often at <laughs> some stretches last year but uh, but overall man it's been a, a real pleasure uh, to watch Ben Yarosick and to watch when he gets integrated into the Stanford offense as we saw him do in that first drive against Oregon State and look I mean there have been times where he's been doubled where he's been where he's been relatively quiet and had relatively quiet games but a lot of that is a function of the coverage I mean it's generally not like Stanford, has the only option in Ben Yarosic this year. There are some pretty good receivers to cover on the outside as well. So pick your poison. Do you want to cover the receivers or the recover the tight end? Many times they've chosen to cover the cover the tight end so far to this point. But uh, no question about this. Ben Yarosic, the latest in a long line of fantastic Stanford tight ends. As for Notre Dame's tight end, Michael Mayer, we'll talk more about him later on in the show well even though i didn't walk out of stanford stadium on saturday night in the best of moods um the highlight of the evening for me was before the game getting a chance to hang out with the guys who called the game on espn uh mark jones and uh, rg3 and then all of a sudden this guy pops up and it's always a pleasure to hang out with him. It's been far too long since we've had him on the TreeCast. It was awesome to hang out with him and see him again uh, before a uh, Saturday night's game. And you can see him, too, as you always do on Saturdays on ESPN. This Saturday, he'll be on the Deuce, calling the game with my man Dave Fleming. Kansas versus Oklahoma, a matchup that has suddenly become very interesting for a different reason than we thought. That's the Saturday morning game, but he's the one and only Rod Gilmore joining us here on the TreeCast. Rod, pleasure as always. Thanks a bunch. How are you doing today?
5: I'm doing okay. Uh, thanks for having me. It was great to run into you uh, Saturday night. I don't uh, get many chances to show up at Stanford Games during the season, uh, but it worked out that week. Uh, it was fun to be there and, you know, just take it in as a fan for a change.
0: Yeah, yeah. Watching things as a civilian, uh, yeah. even though Stanford didn't un- get get the result, and I want to get your 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 specific takes on the final play here in in a moment or so. But just your overall thoughts. You were there. What were your big takeaways uh, from that result between Stanford and Oregon State last week?
5: Um, well, first of all, I, you know Oregon State is is a really good team. Um, I've said to people all season that um, I I thought Oregon State was. Just really good quarterback play away from being an undefeated team. You know, and um Chance Nolan didn't play against us. They had the backup quarterback in. And quite honestly, I thought he played much better than Chance Nolan has played uh this season. Um I, I thought our guys played uh, you know, well. I thought it was the best performance of the year uh for Stanford on both sides of the ball. I thought they controlled the game, uh, despite what the time of possession, you know, said. I I got the sense that they were in control of it and, um, you know, just let it slip away at the end. Didn't get, didn't get a chance to finish it. I think David Shaw said it best. You know, they had a chance to finish it on offense late in the game, final drive, didn't get it done, had a chance to help themselves on special teams uh, to finish it, but didn't do that. And then obviously, you know, at the end of the game, the last play um, didn't finish on defense. So You know, they had opportunities. It was in front of them. I thought for 59 minutes, they outplayed Oregon State. And it's just, I feel for the guys because it's so crushing to be in that position. They worked so hard for so many weeks and didn't have anything work out for them. And they were still close to it Saturday night. So, you know, I, I feel for them. I feel for the staff. And I feel for Stanford fans who are looking for, you know, a breakthrough. And I, I think had they won that game, it would have really changed the momentum for the season. Now you have to look forward to the next week.
0: Yep, No doubt about that. Uh, as a former defensive back, uh, what was your take on how things went? The final play in which Oregon state's receiver made the leaping catch over Ethan Bonner, Patrick Fields uh, was there too. Neither of them able to make the play next, you know, touchdown Oregon state and they're ahead to stay with 13 seconds to go. Well, As, as, a, as a former defensive back yourself, uh, how, how did you break down that play?
5: Well, first of all, I, I thought Harrison made a tremendous play you know going up and, and getting that ball um heck of an effort uh from a defensive backs perspective you know late game situations you want to make sure that you're always you know deeper than any possible receiver and so i, I thought you know the the pursuit angles and the like coming over you know they're a little bit underneath where they probably ideally want it to be um you know you want to be in position to be the last line of defense um, and, you know, that didn't happen. So I, I think that's a lesson that gets, that, uh, you know, get, gets learned from that, from that game, that finish that, um, you know, when you are back there and you've got to be the last line, your pursuit angle is critical. Uh, the receiver can never, ever be deeper down the, down the field than you are. You've got to have the leverage and angle on him at all times.
0: One of the things that uh, David Shaw has been talking about uh, this week has been as coaches, they need to correct the correctables in your mind when it comes to Stanford football. What are some of the correctables that can be corrected right now?
5: Well, on the defensive side, you know, uh, you start with, you know, mistakes. And I should say offense, too. I mean, you know, pre-snap penalties, you um, you know, errors in judgment, um, you know, a penalty on a missed field goal uh, when you're off sides that gives them a second chance to kick the field goal. I mean, that's three points that they get that they shouldn't have gotten. Um, there were uh, there were a couple of unsportsmanlike calls. Um, you know, they, these are just silly mistakes that you can't have. You can easily correct those and just remind players that, you know, the unsportsmanlike, calls and like I me mean, those are those are sort of selfish private things you know they don't help the team you you're putting your situation and your ego ahead of what's good for the team so you got to be able to walk away from those situations and realize I, I can't hurt the team so I think those are things um and then simply on the defensive side tackling you know we we just we missed too many tackles and I say that like it's an easy thing but you know it's not um you know, because the guy who's coming at you doesn't want to go down. So, so that doesn't make it easy. And then the other thing is, you know, you just you don't have as much time or opportunity in practice these days um, to work on open field tackles or, you know, in close tackles. You just you don't get the same kind of contact uh, today as you did back in the day, you know. Um, so you can't go out there and just, you know, drill it over and over like we used to do until you get it right. You're, you're just limited with contact. And you're limited with hours. Um, so got to get better with that. And, um, you know, when on, on the offensive side, um, you know, we're sometimes just one block away from springing one of our backs. You know, it's, it's just a missed assignment here or there. Um, you know, see timing is off a little bit sometimes now I'm still getting used to this, this new offense, you know, that, that we're running. I mean, if you've been a Stanford football fan for, you know, a long time, you, you're you used to, you know, an NFL style tight end, two backs or one back, you know, and a lot of gap scheme, you know, some counters and power and that sort of thing. And, you know, we're much more, you know, not under center as much, you know, we're much more shotgun, much more up-tempo. And, you know, um, the up-tempo teams that I cover across the country, um, they are teams that, you know, they've been up-tempo for a while. And and they do it. It's like breathing for them. It is just a habit, you know. There's and and coaches have told me over the years, you know, like you know, you got to be all in, or not, you know, for the up tempo, so that your players are comfortable with it. They adjust to it, and you don't have mistakes and the like. Um, so uh, I haven't seen enough to know if we're all in on, on up tempo uh, or not, or it's more of a change of pace. Uh, it seemed to me that we were up tempo until third down, and then we kind of slowed the pace and went to her, uh huddles and the like. So, you know, it, I'm still getting used to figuring out, you know, the style and does it fit perfectly? And I, I think the coaching staff is still trying to figure out exactly what works best for some of these players, what fits them, what are they comfortable with? Um, and, you know, when when you play some younger players, they're not as comfortable with the more complex, you know, NFL style, uh, play. And so you have to ratchet it down to what they can do. And, you know, the zone scheme it's being taught, you know, from high school or below high school up. And so younger guys get that and they're comfortable with it and you can get them on the field a lot faster. So I, I think our guys, you know, are making that adjustment from, you know, that sort of a zone read scheme to, you know, the NFL style that they've been taught for the last several years. So, you know, there's, there's some adjustment. Um, I I don't think the season is, uh, over, uh, a loss. I think you, you load up, you come back to practice and you keep the same habits that you've had all year and you move on. You, You can't let, you know, the outside noise, um, you know, the frustration interfere with the way you approach every single day, the way you practice, the way you get set up for your next game. And you just have to move on and keep them in that same, you know, compartmentalized approach. And that's about holding the team together, holding the guys together. Um, because you know, you'll you'll hear it from you know fans and you'll hear it from friends and classmates and social media, but you have to stay in your routine and your approach each and every week. And if you're consistent with that, it'll it'll turn and you just you go with it.
0: Yeah, I talked about that after on the on the show after the Oregon State episode. I said, you look know, you can't call Notre Dame and say, hey, listen, you know, can, can we push this game back <laughs> a, a week or two or so while we get some things yeah. together? Nope, got to get yeah. on the plane head to or South don't Bend. Don't you feel a little sorry for us? We just had yeah. a last-second
5: loss. I mean, can't, can we give us, you know, spot us five or ten points? None of it works that way. Nobody <laughs> <Doesn't>, cares. It
0: <laughs> doesn't work that way. Doesn't work yeah. that way. They, not, nothing gets spotted to the to the road yeah. team in, in South no. Bend. Uh, not even apparently offsides calls, but that's That's a whole different uh, topic for a whole different day. Um, What's your snapshot of the Pac-12 right now? As we sit? we're pretty much at the halfway point of the season, which sounds amazing to think about. It seems like it kind of came in the blink of an eye. But but as you look throughout the Pac-12, what sort of things have popped out at you?
5: Um, I'm pleased with the way the conference is playing overall. You know, week one um, gave me a little concern that Utah lost to Florida. You know, Oregon got blasted by Georgia. Um, and so that was not uh, a great way to start things. Uh, but since week one, I think the conference has, has bounced back. Um, I think we're seeing good play up and down the conference. Uh, I thought going into the season, and even after the first you know few weeks, I thought Utah was the best team in the conference all around. Um, I think losing Brent Keithy, their phenomenal tight end HVAC slot guy, I think that really affected them against UCLA. I thought they're their offense took a step back because he wasn't there. And he's been sort of the key guy for Cam Rising for so long. And that security blanket wasn't there. Um, and the other thing is I, I'm surprised at how well UCLA is playing on the defensive side of the ball. Um, I thought they'd be really good offensively. And I talked to Chip Kelly uh, over the summer about his defense, and he was pretty high on the transfers that he had coming in. thought they would be much better defensively. And he's been right. So I think UCLA has been the biggest surprise uh, because their defense has played so well. And and then USC, um, I'm a little surprised. Um, I'm still not sold on their defense yet. I still think that uh, they get pushed around a bit too much and we'll see if they they hold up. But my goodness, um, their offense, uh, Caleb Williams, um, he's just been phenomenal. Look, I've seen Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud and those guys, uh, you know, at at Alabama and Ohio State and some other guys. But you can't tell me that they throw the ball better on the move than Caleb Williams. His accuracy and his arm strength when he's out of the pocket is just phenomenal. Um, I talked to some scouts um, down at the USC Arizona State game, and they, they were suggesting that if he were available this year, he might be the top quarterback. Uh, coming out. Uh, But he makes that offense really special. Uh, Lincoln Riley has a really nice offense to begin with. But then when you get off schedule, he takes it to another level and makes a bad play, a really, really good play and keeps them going. You know, Mario Williams and Addison on the outside as receivers. uh, It's just a lot, lot to to deal with. So I I think USC is is much better than we thought there'd be with 53 new players on the roster. (laughs) You know, you can turn it over quickly now. so I think USC um, and UCLA uh, surprisingly are at the top uh, because I didn't think either one would have the defense to get it done, but so far uh, that's where they are. And I, you know, I think Washington's still in the hunt. Um, I'm not sure if Utah can, can get it back without Keefe, uh on the offensive side. You know, Oregon, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. They're on a nice run right now, um, but, you know, they get UCLA next week and, you know, we'll see how, how that, you know, it turns out then I, I think that's going to challenge Bo Nix uh, at quarterback uh, to keep up with uh, DTR and we'll see if um, if the Oregon defense is, is good enough to battle. I'm, I'm sold that UCLA is good enough defensively now. I'm not sold on USC defensively yet, and I'm not sold on Oregon, although I believe Oregon has the most talent across the roster uh, in the conference.
0: Yeah, we're going to learn a lot over the next couple of weeks, specifically with that uh, Utah-USC game yes. coming up this week in Salt Lake and uh, UCLA at Oregon uh, yes. next week. Those two games in particular are going to be a lot of fun. Um, let's hop on the Wayback Machine uh, for a moment or so. You, of course, a former Cardinal yourself, played in the late 70s and the early 80s, which I would imagine was a very intriguing era of uh, Stanford <laughs> football. I mean, how, how would you describe that era of Stanford football?
5: Oh, my classmates referred to it as the John Elway era, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and it was, I mean, look, you know, um, it's a shame that everybody didn't get to see him, you know, play live. I mean, kids today have no idea just how incredibly uh, great he was as a quarterback, you know, not just in the NFL, but Stanford. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was, it was exciting to play with, you know, one of the all-time greats. I mean, we certainly knew it on the practice field that he was phenomenal, knew it in games. And, you know, there wasn't a game where he didn't give us a chance, you know. Um, so it was a fun time. We, you know, we had big crowds uh, in Stanford Stadium. That was back when they had to track around the field, you know. Uh, it was back when uh, the band sort of got away with a lot of stuff. So <laughs> that, was, that was pretty cool. Um, you know, and uh, I, we were okay defensively. You know, sometimes we were, we were good, uh, but we were never a great defense, uh, but we had great camaraderie, um, you know, and we, we, we really wanted to play hard. I mean, my senior year, we were really focused on, you know, getting to the bowl game and we knew John was in the race for the Heisman and we knew that every time, you know, we pulled off an upset or had a, a chance to be on national TV, he had a chance to get some votes. So. You know, we were disappointed at the end of the season, the way that, uh, that the 82 big game ended with the five laterals and, and the like. We, we think it it cost us certainly a bowl game and I think it certainly cost uh, John the Heisman. I mean, I think, you know, if uh, the lasting memory had been, you know, Elway's fourth down throw to Emil Harry, you know, to keep the drive alive and then a game winning field goal, um, you know, that plays on the news. And, uh, his highlights show all around and, you know, it's a different story with the Heisman boat, at least in my opinion, but you know, what do, what do I know?
0: <laughs> yeah. It's been 40 years since that day and that game is, is it something you can laugh about now or is it something that you still just go, Oh, just grit your teeth and just kind of, Oh uh, yeah. Yeah.
5: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I look it. it I think we've, most of my teammates and I've gotten to the point where we look at it and we, you know what? It was great for college football. You know, it's considered an all time top two, three, uh, play slash game in the history of college football. Um, it was great for the rivalry. Um, you know, good for Cal since you can't not the Rose Bowl, at least you can have that game, right? <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's my little dig. That's my dig. Um, but, yeah, I, it it doesn't bother me, you know, today. I mean, it, it bothered the heck out of me back then and certainly for, you know, a few years after that. Um, you know, it, it, it was kind of weird to have uh, interviews. I, you know, I've gone to law school and so interviewing for uh, summer internships and have lawyers ask me, well, weren't you on that team? Weren't you? Were you on the field when that play happened? <laughs> you know, after a few years of that, you wanted to go, okay, come on, get over it. Enough already, right? <laughs> um, but, you know, we've had the 20th anniversary, the 30th, and, you know, the 40th this year. And there have been, you know, lots of uh, stories, articles written, and documentaries. Uh, documentaries have been done. One's coming out this year. There's a book coming out this year. So I sort of feel like, you know, if we get through the 40th, we'll be all right for a while.
0: <laughs> <laughs> maybe coasts at least for another maybe 10 yeah, years or so. Yeah, a few yeah. more
5: years, yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. Uh, a couple last thing, things for you here. Um, you're obviously, you know, been battling uh, multiple myeloma, a form of yeah. blood cancer uh, for the past few years or so. Yeah. Uh, hasn't seemed to really slow you down too much. How's that going? How, how healthy have you been able to stay, especially over the last couple of years?
5: Um, so I was diagnosed in August 2016. Uh, it, is, it is a blood cancer, um, and although there is no current cure for it, uh, there are treatments that, you know, can can help you function and deal with things, and everyone is very optimistic that sometime in the not-too-distant future, um, the treatments will uh, enable folks to kind of turn this into a chronic disease, maybe, or maybe cure it. I mean, the uh, advancements in, in medicine have just been phenomenal just in the last, you know, six years uh, since as I was diagnosed, so you know, there's a lot of optimism about what's going on um, in this particular field of, of cancer. Um, but my own personal view is is one. Um, I didn't know anything about multiple myeloma when I was diagnosed, so uh, I didn't know that it hit African Americans twice as often, you know, as white Americans and anybody else, you know. Uh, and so part of my thing is, you know, let, let's try to get the word out a little bit. That's so why I chose, you know, to be public about it and not to keep it private. Um, I thought talking about it and bring it out in the open might help others think about, oh, well, am I getting annual physicals? Because that's how mine was discovered, it was an annual physical. And, you know, throughout my life, I've, I've had a lot of friends and family members who refuse to get annual physicals, and, and I've told them, if I didn't have one, I wouldn't be here, you know. Um, The fact that I had an annual physical allowed this to be caught, you know, relatively early. And so I thought, you know, getting the word out there to others that it's important to get annual physicals would would help. Um, So I I chose to talk about it publicly and not to keep it private. Um, You know, uh, it's been six years of of chemotherapy and and other things, and uh, I'm I'm still having treatment. And, you know, uh, that will probably continue for a while. And you know you just rock and roll with it. My my view is really that um, you know cancer cancer wins when you stop doing the things you love and you stop living your life as normal as you as you can. And um, you know I I like to say you know fight like hell and yeah. not today cancer just keep keep living your life keep living your best life.
0: Just keep on rolling. You've been able to yeah. do that uh, ever since uh, the yeah. diagnosis, and it's certainly awesome. Uh, to, to see what you've been able to do uh since then. Uh as, as we wrap this up here, as mentioned, you've got Kansas at OU this weekend. <laughs> yeah. and, and Kansas is the ranked team, and OU is not. I think that might be the first time that that's ever happened, it seems, yeah. um, in in recorded history. Uh, but you know, this is, I mean, you're 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 a true veteran in, in this broadcasting game. You've been analyzing games since uh for ESPN since the 90s. What do yeah. you enjoyed most <laughs> about it? And and what what have been some of the you know, been the big moments that you've walked out of the stadium going, wow, that was really cool what I just saw.
5: You know, um, people get enamored with uh, reality TV. There's nothing more reality TV than a live sporting event, and particularly, you know, college football, um, where anything can happen. As we say, talk, talk about Kansas and their year. I mean, that was a team that won two games last year. You know, I don't think they've had a winning season in 14, 15 years. And, you know, they were undefeated until last week. Uh, lost a close game to TCU. They're ranked 19th now. And, look, if you watch them get off the bus, you know, they will eye test. You know, like, that team looks great getting off the bus. You would never say that's Kansas. You know, you their coach, head coach, told me the other day that when they played Texas last year, they had two starting cornerbacks that weighed less than 165 pounds. So, <laughs> so again, you wonder how do they change this around that fast? But but this is part of what is so intriguing about college football. It, you know, it's part of it's the, you know, the, the the passion for it. Part of it is, you know, the fact that they they aren't professionals. They, these are young men uh, who are learning and finding themselves and they're they're doing something on a national stage uh, like this. Uh, the pomp and circumstance around the game is phenomenal. And you just don't know what's gonna happen. I- I've done a number of games where going in, you thought, well, if they can just keep this game close to halftime, we'll be happy because we'll keep our viewers to halftime. <laughs> and they've been nail biters down to the last minute or two of the game, you know? So it's 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 unpredictable, it's, it's wild. Um, it's fun. Um, I work with some incredibly wonderful people. Um, I've gotten a chance to work with great folks my entire time at ESPN, and you know, you, you got a chance to see, you know, the the sincere affection uh, among uh, colleagues. You know, with you know, with Mark Jones and and Robert Griffin III and Quinn Kesnick, You know, chance to see them uh, on Saturday night. Um, it's just, it's, it's a lot of fun. I, I cannot deny that. Um, the only thing that becomes a challenge about it is, you know, once you hit November and the weather changes and you're trying to travel, that can be, that can be a problem as you are, you know, trying to get the places in the Midwest and in the South, it can be a little bit of a challenge in November And you go, gosh, why am I stranded in this airport for seven hours trying to get to a game? But, you know, we'll, we'll take that trade
3: off.
0: Occupational hazard, but you know yeah. what? It's it's the beauty yeah. of it all. It's the it's it's the the, the the pageantry, the circumstance. It's the it's also the cruelty of it all, right? As, as Stanford football fans learned once again over the past weekend, but it keeps us coming back, and it should be intriguing to see another. Terrific college football weekend, Kansas at Oklahoma, which is where Rod Gilmore will be. And, of course, Stanford at uh, Notre Dame in South Bend on Saturday afternoon. You're in the Pacific time zone. But Rod's in Oklahoma, my home state. Rod, have a great call. Thanks a bunch. Always appreciate the time. Always awesome to see you. Stay stay healthy. Best of luck. And we'll talk again soon.
5: Yeah. And just before I go, just let me say just um, how much I enjoy your work uh, and what an incredible job you do. Um uh, Stanford's really lucky to have you around. Um, hopefully they'll keep you around for a long, long time, but um, <laughs> you're fantastic at it. Anytime I can be on the show, I'm happy to be here and just share a little time with you. We don't get enough time together. So anyway, uh, congrats on a great career. And I know there are even better things ahead for you. So keep up the great work.
0: Thank you. Checks in the mail. <laughs>
3: Good
0: job, man. It's, 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 it's always good to catch up with uh, Rod Gilmore and I'm glad, uh, glad I can call him a friend and uh, some really good stuff in there. Um, His thoughts on the up-tempo offense and how it takes time and how it's something that you need to commit to 100% and whether the whether the Stanford offensive brain trust is totally committed to running at that kind of tempo 100 percent of the time perhaps remains to be seen. Really, uh, really insightful stuff there. Things that I had I I had not heard. Um, I'm glad that he has kind of mellowed out a little bit, I guess. Hey, uh, 40 years later after the play, and of course, there'll be plenty of, of commemorations, especially with that game being in Berkeley this year with Joe Starkey um, calling it quits as the uh, Cal football play-by-play announcer at the end of this year. So I'm sure there'll be many, many more commemorations once, once we get closer uh, to this year's big game. Hey, I get it. I'm pretty sure that it took a couple years at the very least to get over that. Um, but uh, still amazing to think about how that one play uh, still defines the rivalry but as Rod mentioned and pointed out look Stanford's actually been to some Rose Bowls multiple ones <laughs> over that time span so you know what it's all good and uh, certainly glad that he is uh, staying healthy and uh, fighting like hell and uh, yeah that's that's that, that's a good story. I'm glad you glad you mentioned that. And, um, you know, I had a birthday this week. So, yeah, it's probably time for me to start <laughs> thinking about uh, going to get checkups uh, more often uh, this time. So, uh, hey, always great to catch up with uh, Rod Gilmore. He and fellow Stanford alum Dave Fleming are heading off to Norman to call Kansas versus Oklahoma this week. Stanford football, meanwhile, is heading off to Notre Dame, and I I love going to South Bend. I really do. I I, I love heading to that campus. I don't know what it's like the other 357 days out of the year or so, but on game day on that campus, it's special, man. It's special. I, I went to... Went to South Bend every time that Stanford played there between 2002 and 2012, and again in 2016. That's the last time I've been there. Not making the trip this time, and uh, a little bit bummed about that, because uh, again, that is, uh, you know, as as Tony Kornheiser and Mike Wilbon, on part in the interruption on ESPN, call it. That's the University of Football in America, and that is, that is a special, special place for college football. And you see the. You know, the, the the touchdown Jesus mosaic on the on, on the on the library, you know, across the way you're in that stadium, you hear that band playing those songs and, you know, you kind of you know, I kind of get into it a little bit. It, it's 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 really neat. And it's a it's a fantastic trip to make. Don't know if Stanford's going to be making that trip after 2024. Uh, will the rivalry continue after that? <laughs> there's there's a, lot, a lot of things could look a lot different uh, after 2024 on a lot of different levels. But uh, that's a special place. That is a special, special place to go and check out a ball game. Now, that being said, that 2012 game still irks me a lot. You might remember it, or you might have tried to forget it. Pouring rainstorm. Just absolute sheets. Two of every animal going down the Indiana toll road. Notre Dame had 20 to 13 in overtime. Stanford at the goal line. They gave it to stefan Taylor four times and he didn't get in. I thought he was in on second and goal myself, and he was pretty close on fourth and goal as well. But nope. Officials. Amazingly enough, ruling in favor of Notre Dame in South Bend. Shocker, I know. But the officials ruling that Stefan Taylor did not cross the goal line on any of his attempts, and Notre Dame got the 20-13 to 13 win in overtime. Well, during his uh, weekly uh, press conference on Tuesday, David Shaw was asked, hey, 10 years later, was Stefan in?
1: The first time, absolutely. Um, the rules have changed since then. Um, you know um and and there's more of a mandate um to review every goal line play and uh he was in i believe it was first down he was in on first down and it did not get reviewed um the other rule change is uh is crews working together and that was a mixed crew so the people in the box weren't used to working with people on the field so there was a lack of communication there and I, i feel that the 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 uh, statute of limitations has passed, where I can feel I can speak freely about this because I've had multiple conversations with multiple people over the years. Some people I haven't sought out; they've sought me out, including um, some of the guys that are working in the truck, uh, working in the van, uh, or, uh, during during that that looked at those and uh, they insisted. I didn't even push. They insisted that Stefan was in. So, um, but at the same time, um, as I say that. You know he was in and we would have been interesting to see how the rest of the game finished um, that game also sparked us to go on a run um, i don't think we lost a game and maybe lost one game the rest of that year and on our way to the rose bowl so um as i sit here in in difficult times with where we are in the, in the season there are a lot of times where one 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 play or or one game can spark uh, a run in your team and uh That's what we're hopefully looking forward to this weekend.
0: Yeah, man, that was a rotten ending to that game. Just a rotten, rotten ending. I was so mad on my drive back to Pittsburgh where I lived at the time. But you know what? That season ended up turning out all right. It ended up with all this at the Rose Bowl. Winning the Rose Bowl. How about that? Stanford would love to repeat a similar feat this year, as it would love to, to turn things around after a tough late loss. Speaking about Oregon State now, but but it needs to happen this week in South Bend. Notre Dame at 3-2 on the season. They started off 0-2 with a loss to Ohio State, and then they dropped one at home to Marshall. Boy, that was a that was a head-scratcher at the time. Wins over Cal with a little help from that phantom offsides call again controversial calls that go in notre dame's favor in south bend who knew they also beat north carolina and they also knocked off 16th ranked byu so now since notre dame's won three in a row and they've knocked off a ranked team along the way that clearly means notre dame is back slash sarcasm their biggest weapon michael mayer terrific tight end he actually leads all FBS tight ends with 33 catches so far this year. And he is clearly one of the best in the biz. And, and he's not just dangerous in the passing game. He's also a key cog in their running game as well. Stanford Ed rusher, Stephen Heron
2: explains, believe me, he he is no slouch uh, in the run game at all. He's definitely, he's got great run blocking. He runs his feet on contact. He knows how to roll his, roll his hips through contact as well. Um, so I think, I think honestly, you know, for our front seven, I just think automatic it's it's we have to go up. We have to strike him in that run game. And I think if we can strike him, I think we can put ourselves in some good positions. Um, pass wise, I mean he's he's one of their biggest threats on offense. You 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 do have to stop him. Without stopping him, you can't win this game, in my opinion. Um, I do believe that their quarterback is you know, that's kind of, that's, he, he, you know, 87s kind of become their safety net. You know, I think, I think when he gets into a rough patch in the game or, you know, maybe he doesn't find his first read, the first thing he's looking for is, is him. So I think if we can stop him and we can take him away, I think it's going to give um, our D-line, our secondary, first of all, our secondary chances to make plays in the back end, if we can get to the line, if we can get to the quarterback and get some pressure on him, get him uncomfortable, um, getting him off his spot and just really just stopping, stopping that, that that primary connection is going to be really uh, integral for us.
0: That's Indiana native Stephen Heron talking about Michael Mayer. Uh, Stephen's from New Albany, Indiana, which is on the exact opposite end of the state. It's closer to Kentucky. Uh, so it's it's on that opposite end of the state. But uh, Stephen still told us that he could, he's going to have ap- upwards and probably more than 30 people in the building at Notre Dame. So that's, going to be, that's going to be his first chance uh, to play in South Bend. Because this is the first time Stanford has played at South Bend in four years. Didn't happen in 2020 for obvious reasons. So, Michael Mayer, certainly a big-time cog in what Notre Dame tries to do. It, much of it really all runs through him offensively. So that means, especially in the passing game, the linebackers. Tristan Sinclair, is he athletic enough maybe to stay with Michael Mayer? And the safeties. They better be ready, man. They had better be ready. Team defense is what it's going to take to contain Michael Mayer. And, yes, stopping the run, critical, 100% crucial. That doesn't happen. Nothing else goes right for Stanford. Meanwhile, offensively, and look, we can talk about, about Stanford not committing turnovers, about getting off to a fast start about executing for 60 minutes, about calling the right plays for 60 minutes, and all of those sorts of things. We can talk about that. And, yes, Stanford needs to achieve all of those things. But none of that matters if Stanford's makeshift offensive line can't hold up. Stanford's already shuffling tackles. Now Levi Rogers probably out for this one as well. So the, the injury epidemic is is starting to spread inwards along the Cardinal offensive line. That's not good. And I think back to the, the last time I saw bits and pieces and clips of Notre Dame's game against BYU played down in Las Vegas last week, but I certainly watched the overwhelming bulk of the Irish's game against Cal, and Notre Dame just smoked Cal's offensive line, completely overwhelmed them from every direction, and they didn't really need a whole lot of help doing it. It was just the dudes up front getting big-time pressure. It's not like they were bringing safeties and, and running all these exotic blitzes. No. Notre Dame just overpowered Cal's offensive line to the point where Justin Wilcox had to reshuffle everything and trotted out an entirely new offensive line in Cal's next game after that. So I think back to that game, and I think about what the Stanford offensive line could potentially look like this week. And we can talk about all those things that Stanford needs to do offensively to win this game. And they are all true, but nothing matters if the offensive line can't find ways to open up holes and keep Tanner McKee upright. It all, I believe, rests and hinges on that. We'll see what the Cardinal do. 4.30 p.m. Pacific time kickoff, national TV Stanford versus Notre Dame, always intriguing, always intriguing. And there have been a few times when Stanford's come out of that building with some big, big wins. Let's see if Stanford can do it again this time around. Because Stanford needs to win badly, (laughs) especially judging from the mood that some Stanford fans seem to be in this week. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) They're coming after everyone. (laughs) Uh, Oh, well, that's all right. Uh #Treecast via Twitter is the way to have your thoughts voice on the show on Stanford football and anything that we've covered uh, on this program. I certainly appreciate that. And we will come at you on Sunday with a complete review with post-game sound and analysis from the results and the outcome of Stanford and Notre Dame played this Saturday. So we'll come at you on Sunday for the next episode of The Treecast special thanks to our guests we had three of them how about that rod gilmore from espn ben yurasik stanford football tight end and even had a little hoops with uh, cardinal uh, hoopster harrison ingram thanks to those three guys for joining us on the show of course the biggest thanks goes out to you for listening and for being a part of the program i always always appreciate you listening and being a part of the show Don't drink and drive if you do. You're the dumbest person on the planet. Stay safe, stay healthy, and stay sane. Talk to you Sunday on the TreeCast with Troy Clarity on the Believe Network. Presented by Online. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform.